Blog Talk Radio. Hey, it's Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. I'm Jason. This is my show. It's always crazy to me that I have a show, that people want to listen to it, that people call in and talk to me for like an hour about stuff. So, you know, we're going to start tonight with whiskey because I have a new whiskey at the house. And yes, often at the Mankey household, we are getting new whiskeys. But this, this was a special whiskey, and it's worth just talking about for a second. So my wife and I, that's Ari, if I ever talk about Ari, that's my wife. She and I are whiskey connoisseurs, much more her than me, and we are especially connoisseurs of scotch whiskey. Whiskey is not a complicated thing, though I think people who are whiskey fanatics make it more difficult, perhaps, than it needs to be. But there are many different names for whiskey, depending on how it's made and where it comes from. And if whiskey is made in a certain way in the country of Scotland, it is scotch. Scotch can only be made in Scotland. There are many single malt whiskeys. And right now, some of the most popular ones are from Japan and other places. But to be Scotch has to be made in Scotland proper. And anyway, so love Scotch. Been to Scotland twice. Supposed to go a third time. We'll see if we're ever allowed to travel ever again. But our, ooh, it's our second. No, it was our first trip there in 2014 in September of that year, we uh, went to Edinburgh. We went to the malt, Scotch malt whiskey experience where you get to ride in a barrel because, you know, we're children and we like riding in barrels and they, you know, show you how Scotch is made, blah, 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 whatever. And so this is happening and we get done and the guy is talking to us about the different Scotch whiskey producing regions Scotland, and we thought that we knew them. There's Isla, the Islands, there's the Lowlands, there's the Highlands, there's Speyside, and then he said, oh, there's also this place called Campbelltown. What the hell is Campbelltown, we said. Well, he, uh, he decided he'd sit down with us and talk to us, because no one ever asks about Campbelltown. It's a small town on the west coast of Scotland that used to be the biggest whiskey-producing region in the country especially during American Prohibition. Uh, Campbelltown was known for its cheap single malts that they sent over to the United States. So the quality wasn't very good. And by the time we were talking to this guy six years ago, there were only three distilleries left in Campbelltown. I love weird places no one's ever heard of. So I was entranced by Campbelltown. I was like, well, we would need to try all the Campbelltown scotches. And... Mercifully, it's pretty easy because there are only three distilleries. But we saw one at a little whiskey shop in the city of Edinburgh, and it's by a distillery called Glen Scotia, and they had this whiskey called the Victoriana, which is supposed to be kind of like what Scotch whiskey would have tasted like during the Victorian era. And we bought it, we took it home, and it was just fucking fabulous. It became one of our favorites. Over the last two years, lots of people have started drinking Glen Scotia, 
Ari is a bit of a Twitter whiskey influencer, and all of her other whiskey influencer friends talk about Glen Scotia. So Glen Scotia just released. Who texted me? A very limited edition made with peat, and they don't usually make peated whiskey. This is the Campbelltown Malts Festival 2020 limited edition, aged 14 years and finished in tawny port barrels. And it's just fabulous. It's just fabulous. The good thing about drinking this whiskey tonight during the show is it's so good that I can't drink a lot of it because i got to preserve it because we had to import it from England through the whiskey exchange. So it was not the easiest to get a hold of, and it was a little bit pricey. And so, you know, I'm just going to sip it during the show, but it's just great. It's got a little light hint of peat to it. Peat is that smoky flavor in scotch, which makes some people think it tastes like a campfire. It's not really what it is. Uh, just fantastic. If you're ever out and you get a chance, any whiskey from Glen Scotia is worth drinking. Sometimes the price can hit you like right in the heart, like a heart attack. The Victoriana, which we love and always keep on hand, begins at $70. But Scotch whiskey is not something that you drink quickly in a night. You buy a bottle and you enjoy it for several years. So thank you all tonight uh, for being here and listening to me pine and wax, hopefully somewhat poetically, about Scotch. It's quarantine season. What else am I going to do? Drink orange juice? No, we're going to drink some scotch. We've also been drinking some wine. But the show is named Witches Whiskey and Wit now, so I have to kind of stick mostly to the whiskey while we're doing the podcast. You know, I've got a great lineup of people coming on the show in the next couple of weeks. And I'm actually taking the podcasting seriously this go-around. Next week, I have Phoenix LaFay. Uh, who just released What is Remembered Lives that came out, I think, last fall. Fantastic book. Really loved that. Uh, after that, we're going to have Lila Dorsey, who is my favorite voodoo priestess in the United States, and she just released a book for Samuel Weiser. We'll be talking about that. After Lilith, Misha Magdalene, who wrote Outside the Charmed Circle, which came out in February. We'll be talking to them. And then Laura Tempest-Zakroff will be on the show. We'll be talking about her book, Weave the Liminal. Also, we'll be talking about The Witch's Altar, which she and I co-wrote, because, you know, i got to promote my own shit, right? So it's a great opportunity for me to do just that. And we'll be talking about her new Liminal Spirits Oracle deck. I'm very excited. Uh, Tempest is, you know, one of my favorite people. All those people I just named are amongst my favorite people, though. I'm, like, really, really blessed that I have friends who will talk to me. So this is great for me. It's great for you. And then after that, we're going to have Keldon on, who just released a book on traditional witchcraft, which is also fantastic. And Keldon is one of my favorite people also. So it's going to be great. Lots of shows. As long as the country is in lockdown, I'm going to be doing this almost every week because I love you. And I've got nothing better to do anyways. Speaking of love, I love my next guest, Estrella Taylor, the author of Intuitive Witchcraft. And hello, Estrella. Welcome to the show. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, too. And, uh, you know, as you were listening to people, I couldn't help but notice, like, there's a theme going on. I don't know if you did this on purpose, but it's almost like the tarot. Like, you had Gleon first. That he's like the magician. Like, I'm second. Like, a priestess intuition kind of thing going on. Phoenix is very empress-like. You oh, know, yeah, she uh, is. I don't know. This yeah, this this could be a thing that you didn't even know you were doing. I don't know. Wow. I'm just yeah. that intelligent, you know, like subconsciously. You know, just a genius. <laughs> <laughs> You're very kind. You're very kind to say such things about me. Well, and I, to assume I that, that I had a plan. <laughs> I just notice patterns, you know. I'm a scientist, so that's what I do. It's true. I'm just happy to have you here. I mean, this, what, next, in June, I will have known you for, is it three years? A billion years. Yeah. Three years. It feels longer and shorter all at the same time. Yeah. Well, um, that's how time works. It's it's not very uh, linear all the time when you have feelings. Uh and connections and, and spiritual moments, you know, you kind of transcend the time. And uh, and I just love that, you know, we can get in the deep end really early on <laughs> with things. So um, I'm not drinking whiskey. I have to say I'm drinking wine. So I'm going to add another W to the podcast just this one time or, uh, you know, maybe optional. But, um, yeah, I'm just drinking. You're not going to be the first. You're not going to be the first. There's okay. going to be lots of wine drinkers on the show. It's just the chances of whiskey knocking me out are much faster. And then the more whiskey I drink, the more interesting the questions become. And that's when you'll probably want to hang up. (laughs) Okay, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we'll get there. I don't know, with Gwian, though. (laughs) Gwian, I love Gwian. Gwian Raven was my guest last week. He just released The Magic of Food in January. He's one of my favorite witches in the world. Everybody who's on this show is, like, one of my favorite people so far. We'll see, like, when I get a guest that I don't know well. But Gwian, when you get him talking about food, really loves to talk. And so I found myself with lots and lots of time to drink during last week's show. And... It was, like, too much by the end. I could kind of feel it coming in. Uh, You know, it was nice not to have to work, but at the same time, it was rough because there was so much. Make sense? Oh, you know, this this is the worst work to be talking with good friends and drinking. I just can't handle it. (laughs) No, it's I know. It is. Well, people ask me, you know, are you living your dream? And I'm sure you get that, too. As an author, are you living your dream right now? Oh, is that a question for me? Yeah, because I feel like I should talk. I want to hear from you, right? All right. Well, in in a lot of ways, I am living my dream. I have always wanted to have a book published by a real publisher because I've published two works of fiction by myself which was a lot of work, and I had I had help this time, and I have help with distribution. However, you know, the bookstores are not exactly open right now in this quarantine era, so one of my goals of having books in bookstores all around the world, or 
you know, in the English-speaking places at least, you know, that's it's not entirely true just quite yet. But I, I have heard from some indie booksellers that um, they have uh, my book in their stores, which is fabulous, and I highly recommend you support those indie stores if you'd like a hard copy, a paperback, I mean, um, because they're doing, like, drive-up services, and it's just fabulous, you know. It's it's such a weird time we live in right now. It's such a weird time to publish a book. And, you know, when, when all this first came out, nobody knew how bad this was going to be. And there's all these um, cases of uh, coronavirus, and, um, you know, nobody knows if they're going to live for the next couple of weeks because this is it's, the hyperbole is amazing. And, um, you know, it's, it felt really weird to be like, and I have a book. <laughs> we might die. <laughs> and I have a book out and it's about intuition and everyone's like, ah, screaming. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, listen to your gut. <laughs> um, and everyone's like, I'm afraid. So, I mean, I, I did get to have some frank conversations about that, you know, very real conversations that, you know, we can only control what we can control. We can do the best with everything else. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people are were scared and they are still scared. So is this my dream? No, that's not my dream. I think that, <laughs> like, maybe a nightmare is kind of brewing out and about. And um, it's, it's not a real reality for some people in particular, but, um, you know, I think eventually, uh, publishing through a publisher is going to, uh, be a great experience. It's only been out for like a month and a week, I think. So it's early days. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint when you release a book. And I think that's something a lot of people lose sight of, you know, like, Oh my God, if my book isn't a bestseller immediately, you know, bestseller in the world of pagandom means a lot less than it does to Tom Clancy or somebody else. But, you know, mm-hmm. a, a great witchcraft book is in print for 20, 30, 40 years. People still buy Paul Hewson's Mastering Witchcraft, which came out in 1970 with no revisions. So, I mean, yes, it's, a, it's very much a marathon. It's not a sprint. And your book is terrific. You are, and I don't say this lightly, and of course, you know, I love all my guests. Most of them are my friends. They're people I know. Anytime I have somebody on the show, I want to promote their work. But you are really a fucking fantastic writer. You really, you really are. You're a very skillful writer. Uh, so this is a tremendous book. I remember when I was reading it just about a year ago now in a bar in Nashville, Tennessee on Music Row. Oh, God, I sat so close to people. I won't be doing that anytime <laughs> yeah. ever again. You know, you said that you've always wanted to be a writer. Like, what age was it where you said, you know, I want to be a writer? And when did you think, gosh, I'm actually not terrible at this writing thing? Um, my, Well, I think, you know, ever since I started reading books and I realized that was a job that people could have, I wanted to be a writer. And um, it's, you know, I used to write little books for my teachers in school. Luckily, I had, you know, teachers who liked that kind of stuff. And um, that kept going. And, um, you know, you know, they say you have to put in 10,000 hours to really get good at something. 
any kind of craft, whether it's music, writing, dancing, whatever it is, um, I put in my 10,000 hours writing fiction. And there, I learned powerful ways to say things. I learned uh, ways to cut words in some of my scientific communication classes that I've taken as well. And I, you know, try to get to the point and also um, bring a bit of mystery and beauty and magic into the words so that um, my favorite thing about books is when you read them, they transport your mind to this other place. They imbue you with this energy. You feel like, whoa, this is really cool. Like, I don't really feel like I'm in the same world as before. Like, maybe there's a unicorn right around the corner. <laughs> maybe, um, you know, something's going to sparkle in the air in a moment. Um, so uh, that's my goal whenever I'm writing any book is to transport the reader into this magical realm where they can really connect with um, just this feeling of beauty and magic. So that's what I try to do. This is a pretty complicated book, Intuitive Witchcraft. I mean, you know, I look at some Llewellyn books and – you know, there may be 40,000, 50,000, 60,000 words. Your book's much longer than that, you know, and there's so much mm-hmm. in it. What was the writing process like? Yeah, it's over 100,000. Uh, my first three books are all over 100,000. The writing process, um, well, obviously uh, I submitted a uh, proposal to Llewellyn, which they accepted. It had the first three chapters in an outline. And um, then, you know, everything was accepted as it was, and I read the outline anyway. So um, I started writing, and um, there was so much I wanted to say. Like, I feel like this is my life's work so far in a lot of ways. And um, so I tried to put, you know, everything I could in there, everything empowering that I could think of, all the references the books that I've read over the decades that have really moved me and helped me along my path as an intuitive witch slash eclectic witch slash uh, general pagan magical practitioner person and many other labels as well. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. uh, And then the process of writing, I don't know if it's like this for you, but um, it's basically like I, I just try to like listen to the wind and the little voice in my head and I feel moved and I write it on the paper or, you know, the laptop these days. And, um, and you know, that's not always a direct translation for me. I have to go back and edit it and make it more clear and uh, a little bit sharper, use more powerful words, you know, cut out the repetition. So uh, it takes many months to write something like that. But, but I feel that I got all the right stories in there. The one thing I regret, I wish I would have gotten Brienne Ravenwolf, a passage from Brienne Ravenwolf on one of the early chapters about intuition and knowing who you are. That's my one regret. And I I haven't even told her yet. I need to tell her that. But um, apart from that, I think that I got all the messages that I wanted to convey in there. So I guess for people who have not looked at your book, or read anything that you've written. Though we'll talk later why I think that's probably impossible at this point. What is intuitive witchcraft? When you use that term, what exactly do you mean by it? 
Um, well, I feel like there's a Venn diagram that I have not created yet with intuitive witchcraft and eclectic witchcraft. So I classify intuitive witchcraft as a kind of eclectic witchcraft, like under the umbrella. But I also think that it intersects with many other eclectic witchcrafts, like uh, green witchcraft, like the herbalist people, plant people, and uh, kitchen witchcraft, and um, the other uh, eclectics. And then I think it also um, goes outside of the eclectic umbrella and touches places like uh, Wicca and traditional witchcraft and, uh, you know, everything that's out, the other traditions, everything that's even outside the boxes of everything else. So um, basically it's whatever practice you use where you listen to your intuition about what feels right for you and, Basically, you just kind of like um, touch base. You first have to like make sure you're really in touch with it and not just listening to fears or conditioning. Uh, there's a lot of exercises in there about removing that and accepting yourself the way you are and not like, uh, you know, trying to listen to the intuition of who you want to be, uh, you know, or who you think you should be necessarily. So, um it, this is a long way to describe intuitive witchcraft, um, but then uh, so that's how you would I would define it. But then the actual practice comes around where you feel something, and instead of like spiritually bypassing and being like, no, I shouldn't feel that emotion, you really listen to it and you listen to what your intuition tells you about it, and then you use that uh, feeling, and you know you bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And uh, so that you make your intention with where you want to be. And uh, you use the energy of both of these to create magic. And that can be in like a spell or a ritual. And I actually have a magical formula in there about, you know, one, crafting your intuitive uh, intention. And then using personal correspondences or things that resonate with the energy that you're seeking and then uh, using your intuition to figure out a magical action, whether that's dancing or burning or flushing or freezing or anything, any kind of action, any verb. And, um, yeah, and then, like, bringing it all together into a magical ritual where everything is based on your intuition. So when you were at the beginning of that, you talked about, like, 18 different kinds of witchcraft green witchcraft, Wiccans, traditional Mm -hmm. witchcraft. You know, when I was reading your book, and don't take this as criticism in any way, because I don't mean it like that, but, you know, it feels like sometimes we worry so much about all of those things. You know that I'm like a gardenarian, you know, so I'm initiated into something. But I found everything in your book something that I could use, you know, that it applies to everybody, you know, that there's a little bit of an eclectic in all of us. There's a little bit of an intuitive witch in all of us, you know, despite what maybe we use to describe ourselves first. Mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah, it's really a question. Intuition. Yeah, I don't know if it's a question. It's just kind of a comment. I mean, because, I don't know, I think we worry too much as witches about putting ourselves into these little boxes. And I don't think any of us fit neatly into any box. 
Yeah, there's so much overlap. That's why I haven't made the Venn diagram. <laughs> it's because it's too messy. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it, maybe if I can make it in four dimensions, it would make sense. But, you know, here we are in the third dimension. I'd have to include parallel worlds and other things. Perhaps right. it could yeah. only truly be understood while on LSD. I'm not sure. I don't want to say that, but okay. it could be. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. We we need to hire someone to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> My like art inept ass couldn't do it, so it would have to be somebody else unless you did all the work. I'd be happy to put my name on it if you did all the work. That'd be just like a man. Yeah, that'd be just like a man, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's maybe true. We'll find an artist. We'll find an yeah, artist. Maybe we'll I'm not really an artist myself either. Like I, I love art. I do collages, um, you know, but I don't, I don't draw myself. You know, it's, it's a gift. Yeah. yeah, it's a gift that I don't have. So your like experiences growing up in the witch and pagan worlds are like radically different from most people that I know. You know, when I met you three years ago, I mean, we met at Pagan Spirit Gathering, but you were only kind of nominally in the greater pagan community. I mean, you'd like, you know, you didn't blog, you didn't even know that people read shit from witches back then, which is hilarious to me now, considering how many people read your stuff. But, you know, so you kind of had like a completely different experience than I did and a lot of the people coming up. So what was your experience like growing up as a witch? Um, so I, I feel like I've had so many witchy experiences as a kid and my mom was really witchy too. Um, I don't think she ever identified as a witch, but she, uh, you know, she had all kinds of knowledge. Uh, you know, she was into herbalism, organic foods. She had a, a broom collection. <laughs> she, she was very witchy. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, I was raised and she taught me a few little magical things like, um, um, something I'll never forget is one time we were, we were at the pool and she was looking up at the clouds and I was like, what are you doing mom? And I was probably, I don't know, five or something. And she was like, I'm dissolving the clouds with my mind. (laughs) And she was like, you can do it too. Just look at a cloud and. And just concentrate on the edges until it starts to dissolve. And I did it for a while. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to go play. And so I have a lot of little memories like that. Um, you know, I had a very new age uh, household upbringing. Uh, we, we did try to, you know, stay with the church for a while, but we were just, you know, too weird. And, you know, my mom, uh, my father divorced. So um, the church uh, decided they just didn't like that. They didn't like that very much. So. We were like, we're moving on, basically. <laughs> um, and we found this new age church that really worked out well for us. It was very supportive. You know, I'd always, she always loved uh, Mary. And I was this little pagan goddess worshiper. And, uh, you know, I, and I say that knowing that, you know, at that Christian church that we went to, like, there I was. Uh, when everyone else was singing all men, I was singing all women and I was trying to get everyone else to like join in with me. Like I was like, it's okay. You guys can do it too. And, and I feel like that's who I am at my core. (laughs) Probably like, 
um, come join the fun. I'm having a great time. And then um, I I know I'm a pagan because um, I had my first ecstatic experience when I was reading Edith Hamilton's mythology, and uh, I was reading about um, the the goddesses. Uh, I think it was um, Artemis, and and the night was falling, and the sky was all blue, and and the trees looked like shadows moving in the wind, and. And I just got this chill over me and my whole body just felt this rush of just pure bliss. And I just, I just knew that this, this is who I am. Like I, I, I had no choice. I just was swept away with love. So growing up like that, it was really cool. Um, You know, we had problems, of course, like every family has little problems, uh, some big problems, but some little, mostly little problems. And, um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time in the woods. Uh, we didn't live near the woods, but we would drive there once a week. And uh, my mom would volunteer, and I'd hang out with my sisters, and we'd walk the woods um, and just play in the woods. That is magical. Like, that's, I think that is the school that a lot of kids need these days more than anything else. Um, and then so uh, growing up in the New Age Church, I just – uh, had the power of affirmations and positive thinking. Um, but really when it came down to it, the, the minister that we had that everyone loved, she you know, used to say like mother, father, God, and everyone accepted that I was just really spooky and weird. Um, uh, that, that lady passed away. And then there was a new uh, lady who just referred to God as a he. And then like people started dropping out left and right of the church and we dropped out and and that's when I fell into paganism and um I really loved it like I was really lucky to have friends who were spiritual I chose them of course but um to have a a godmother too who was spiritual who took me on like not a birth godmother but um um that was a wonderful experience she uh encouraged my friends and I to go to pagan gatherings and we did and we had such great times and being a teenager and growing up in that environment a late teenager I should say um it it was just freaking magical um but then um you know I moved around the country a lot and I moved back to my hometown and I couldn't afford festivals for a few years and then I went to graduate school and that is all encompassing like I had one hour free time per week and that was it (laughs) and it was it was terrible and so I couldn't go to any festivals then either and then afterward my employers were like well you can't take off and and so I I did take a few years off and that's when social media really went boom and um and so yeah that's how I didn't know that there were pagan bloggers and and when you and I first met um you were like what do you want out of writing you asked me that question. And I said, I just want people to read my writing <laughs> more than anything else. Like I want to, I want to be heard. I want to have a voice. I don't want to just like yell into the wind. So um, uh, the blog and the book have made a huge difference. I, I, I feel like, you know, definitely people do read my stuff these days now. Thank goodness. Well, I feel like I promised you that people would read you if you wrote as Pathios Pagan. So I'm glad I didn't lie to you there. Yeah, maybe those words made it happen. Who knows? Yeah, I assume that they did. I don't know. 
one of the things that I find fascinating about you, and maybe I'm just jealous, you like toured the country kind of like as a hippie fire dancer for several, like for yeah. like years. Was it years? It was on and off for two years. Yeah, that's amazing. Like most people don't get to have that kind of experience. So what was that like, mm-hmm. living kind of this free vagabond kind of lifestyle? Did you did it feel liberating, or was it more, God, I hope I get to eat food tonight kind of thing? <laughs> it was both all the time. It was, um, well, so when I graduated with my bachelor's degree in environmental science, I uh, I realized that I had never – really seen the world. I'd spent all this time studying, uh, you know, six years, um, getting my, uh, degree. And, and then I realized like, I really want to have an adventure. You know, that quote from, um, uh, Helen Keller, life is a daring adventure or nothing. (laughs) Well, my life was nothing. It was not a daring adventure at all. So, um, I was looking for work with my degree and I couldn't find a job. The economy was crappy post nine eleven, you know, and then I met this guy who was like, Hey, do you want to go on the road with me and dance with fire? And he was like, I have a school bus that's converted into an RV. And I was like, say no more. Yes, I want to go. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was a beginner fire dancer, but I picked it up really quickly and soon I, Within a month, I became better at it than he was, <laughs> and I'm I'm usually very modest, but I mean I'm I'm very truthful as well. <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, so what would happen is, um, you know, we would do these festivals and um, dance with fire. There, we would make fire toys and sell them. Um, I made jewelry and sold it. I also did some tarot reading, and um, when we weren't at festivals. We were traveling to and from some of our friends' houses who were kind enough to let us stay there for a little while and, um, you know, teach them fire poi and whatnot if they were interested or, you know, just do their dishes. (laughs) Um, And so when we weren't, you know, at somebody's house or at a festival, we would pull into some tiny little town or city or whatever, and um, we would talk to the fire uh, department and I would do the talking because my boyfriend at the time looked really like a hippie like dreadlocks you know patchwork and there I just look kind of like a a vintage fairy or something perhaps (laughs) Um, and so I would do the talking and I'd say this is how we do it this is what we do we're just going to set up shop and put out um, a little hat we don't even ask for tips we just put out a hat you know we don't spare change, you know. And um, we have our own fire extinguisher, too, and we know how to use it. And most of them uh, were so nice. They were, like, impressed. And, you know, I'd show them pictures, and they'd be like, oh, okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> and so, yeah, we'd make some money that way. And if we could do it at a bar, that was even better because drunk people love fire. <laughs> they love fire dancers. And this is so, like a um, Oh, it was great. <laughs> it was so much, it was great so much finance. fun. So, but then, yeah, it was very expensive to um, put gas in the bus. And then uh, we 
there were times when we didn't eat the best and, um, you know, times when uh, we would wake up and someone was banging on the bus door, times when the cops would just come out and just, like, sirens blaring, like, get out of here, you know. So um, it's, it was an adventure. It was my on-the-road adventure, good and bad. Did you listen to The Grateful Dead, like, during the same time? I think he did. I don't really know a lot of their music. I know some some of it. No, I think he listened to a lot of pagan music. Yeah. He was pagan too. Yeah. Yeah, was it just the two of you? Uh, no, we had friends sometimes. Yeah. I don't know, I just, really I just I'm just always fascinated by that. I mean I guess I probably just don't have the bravery to do that. You know, I'm more worried about you know, where am I going to shower in the morning? That's really important to me. Or how am I going to watch basketball or hockey if <laughs> I'm on the road? That's much, much more difficult, you know, especially pre-cell phone and all that. So I'm a little oh, jealous. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, I would never do that. It's, it's just, I don't know, I'm kind of stuck in the middle of it. But I'm always fascinated by it, you know. You just, you've had these kind of really cool adventures. You still fire dance today, right? And yeah, I do. do it some frequency. Yeah, and I have this great group of people. It's so fabulous. Um, I just love all of their energy. Um, you know, we just get together and we create things together. You know, I, I say that Scarlett and I are the co-leaders, but it's just because we've been doing it for a lot longer. And, um, you know, we just kind of work these magical pieces like we have our own freedom of music and expression so it's really fun speaking of pagan festivals and i know that some of the fire dancers go to pagan festivals with you you have begun teaching at pagan festivals especially over the last two years was that something you always Mm -hmm. envisioned yourself doing or was that more well i should probably promote this book so i should probably start teaching well, I didn't realize that people would really be receptive to what I had to say until I blogged. And then I realized that I kind of have a a voice of an underrepresented population, I'll say. I'm guessing, like maybe you can confirm this for me, but um, people are really curious about this kind of stuff. I don't think that there's a lot of um, eclectic practitioners who are out there who are, you know, having books published necessarily, at least people who don't identify as that. I feel like they're, they identify as other things and identifications always confuse me. Like I, I don't really know all the labels still to this day. I would love to know what reclaiming is, but I don't know what it is. And I, I don't, I wish there was a definition or a guidebook. Well, I, I <laughs> so think confused. that the people you're talking about are out there, but Sometimes it feels like there's two sort of overlapping witch communities. There is like the witches of Instagram community who are buying their books at Hot Topic and Urban Outfitters, not from traditional witch stores. And they're not going to festivals. And they're not reading blogs for the most part. Or if they are, they don't really identify with any of the people who are writing them for the most part, you know, but I think they do kind of overlap in this 
in this sort of way, and this will transition into what else I wanted to talk to you about anyways, you have like this voice that speaks to lots of different people. So Estrella blogs at Pathios Pagan, and I am the channel manager of Pathios Pagan, for those who are unaware of that. And like eight months out of 12, Estrella is either the most read writer there or the second most read writer there. And, you know, while John Beckett and I debate how many angels fit on the head of a pin, you know, you're writing posts about salt bowls that people actually want to read. You know, there's, and I, I think that's a kind of overlap. You know, I, I think that you really do. You speak to a lot of different people. You speak to different people than I do or John does or maybe even Tempest does sometimes, uh, which is interesting. I, I don't know if you realize that about yourself, but I, I think that, you know, you are, your writing is approachable, and as a result, you have a lot of readers who aren't typical readers of the pagan blogosphere. God, I hate that word, blogosphere. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't know it was quite that popular, but, uh, yeah, I just, I love the, you know, if I can raise a torch for people, um, I think that that's wonderful. And I, and I think one of the, you know, I don't raise a torch for myself. Um, I, I like, I studied Buddhism way too, way too much for that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I like to empower people so much. And um, part, to circle back on, um, I guess I just, I just thought of, uh, you know, I'm of a certain age where, um I'm taking classes at pagan gatherings, but I'm like, I knew that, I knew that, I knew that, I knew that. Uh, so when you get to that point, you just kind of feel like, well, maybe maybe I should teach some classes then. And, and then you start to ask yourself, like, what do I know? And, and what I know more than anything else is how I practice and how I came to this path. So that's what I've been teaching so far. Um, I did lead a really beautiful, uh, if I may say so, a beautiful ritual at Pantheacon on Valentine's Day. It was the self-love ritual with Aphrodite. And um, that came to me from a direct experience with her um, when I was uh, just having a ritual uh, with moon or full moon. I don't remember quite which, but, um, you know, I called upon her and these waves of love just emanated from her altar uh, into my heart and you know just like that ecstatic experience I had when I was a kid it was just the same like I was like thrown back on the couch and just felt this love pouring out from her into me and then so I tried to uh, I did my best to replicate that at the at the gathering and um, it was on Valentine's Day, so it was really, really cool because, you know, uh, people are, are always in all kinds of situations on Valentine's Day, whether they're with somebody or not, or just broke up or just got with somebody, but everybody needs self-love. So I was really happy. I got some great feedback about that as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I teach what I experience, what's real to me and what I know for sure. 
you know, I look back on festivals in February, like Pantheacon, which takes place out here in, in California's Bay Area, or did, that was the last one ever, and then there's Convocation in Detroit a week later, uh-huh. and at this point, I'm like, gosh, how was I standing so close to all of those people? We didn't know. Right? Yeah. I mean, I really felt like I dodged a bullet, you know? I mean, the coronavirus was here in the Bay Area when Pantheacon happened. And, I mean, I just don't think we realized yet. And if somebody had had it there, considering kind of the closed circumstances of a hotel room or a ritual going on with 100 people or whatever, you know, it could have been an absolute disaster. Maybe, yeah, I, maybe I hugged so many people there. <laughs> it could have gone so badly. Um, the gods yeah, were watching out for us. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I look back on it, and, you know, it was just like three weeks later that, you know, we had all the shelter-in-place orders start to come out and things. So, you know, speaking of your blogging, and I've kind of made a couple of jokes about this, and I'm not really making fun of it because it's, Really great, but the most read blog post in the history of Pathios Pagan is Salt Bowls, right? I mean, it's just amazing to me. You know, like I think number two now is Bay Leaf, Banish, and Burn. So I have to ask you about Salt Bowls because this is going to be an ongoing thing. Um, what is a Salt Bowl? How do you use a Salt Bowl? Why do you think people care so much about salt bowls? Full disclosure, I stole the salt bowl idea for Llewellyn's Little Book of Yule. So, I mean, it's it's a good idea. Well, I mean, understand, I'm not Wiccan, and I've never take formal class, taken formal classes in, in Wicca. Or, uh, you know, I've done, like, Selena Fox's PSG. So that's what I know about Wicca. But I read in some of your books that um, a bowl of salt sometimes represents the earth. Is that right? Yes, a bowl of salt represents the earth. It has other things that it can do too, but yeah. So, so yeah, I just think that um, salt is a, is, is a very inexpensive item and um uh, you know, I didn't get this idea from Wicca, but um, I kind of um, just made it up. But there is some other, there are some other cultures. After I looked into it, there are some other cultures that use it as well, um, or similar kind of things. Um, but basically, um, you know, the salt lamps are really beautiful, but they're really expensive. And uh, you know, I my sister gave me one, but the bulb burned out, so now it just looks like a big lump. Um, but I was just like, you know what? I, I could use this little portable bowl and just put some salt in there, a little bit of like spices and some uh, herbs and um, voila. And I tried it out in my kitchen before I published the blog. And I was like, wow, this kitchen energy is fresh. This is good. <laughs> um, and so I moved it to my altar or I had a ritual with it, and I was like, "This is really good." So um, I published, I published the article about it. Like I took the picture right outside my back uh, porch, and um, <clears throat> used some what was it, cypress that uh, I clipped myself. So um, I don't know. It was a, 
it's just inspirational. Like I have so much inspiration to write and, you know, I have a full-time job <laughs> and I write books and I do fire and I have the blog and, uh, Oh, I have a box. I'm tired. Well. I'm <laughs> so tired now. But, um, tell, tell me I have so yeah. many ideas for blogs. Like I write down all my ideas for blogs. And I think I showed it to you once and you just laughed at all the pages and pages <laughs> of, of blog ideas. <laughs> so, uh, some of them make it to the world and some of them don't, but it's it's all stuff that works for me, stuff that I feel deeply within. I mean, I'm not laughing at you. I mean, I'm kind of probably jealous. I mean, at this point, I've been blogging pretty consistently for eight years, and I'm like, what the hell else am I going to write about, you know? Uh, so I, I kind of miss having lots and lots of ideas. Uh, so we, you mentioned the boxes. Can you tell me about the Blessed Bee Boxes? Sure. Um, this is a business I went into with my friend Stephanie. We did moon circles um, a long time ago um, when I was living in Yellow Springs. And uh, she's fabulous. She has her own aromatherapy line, and she has the Chakra Box, which you, like some people may have heard of. Uh, it's basically a subscription box where you sign up, and um, every month you get a box with some wonderful things and um you know our mission and her mission as well for her boxes is to be as sustainable as possible there's not a lot of junk in there you know almost everything like 99 percent of everything in there is recyclable once you use it and um she mixes the aromatherapy oils for every single box and we pick out a few items including some crystals um, a candle, um, some incense, uh, and sometimes she does a tea and uh, usually bath salts as well. Sometimes we have like local artists or small business artists, artisans as well, do some like jewelry or soap or something like that. And uh, I write astrology for the new moon. So that's one of our boxes. And then um, the other one is we do the Sabbaths. And um, I have to say the Wheel of the Year book has been very helpful in uh, all that. Like I knew the Sabbaths before the Wheel of the Year book came out, but that book has really solidified my understanding of them and the deep history of, of everything. So um, thank you for writing that book. Um, thank you. Well, but yeah, I just, I love the, I love the boxes and yeah, it's real fun. Yeah, I know you take it pretty seriously. So next up after we've got into it in witchcraft which came out a month ago i know you just turned in your second book for for llewellyn and i think that's called air magic can you tell it us a bit about that and when it'll be out yeah well i know you don't like astrology but i am an air sign <laughs> <laughs> i'm a libra and i have an aquarius moon and my jupiter's in gemini and it's so much air i have a grand trine on my chart it's kind of beautiful but uh it's um so air magic is all about um the energy of elevation of expansion of uh, change and beginnings and communication and the magic of breath and so much more and spirits as well like air is really connected with spirits it's really beautiful like you know how the greeks uh the ancient greeks thought that uh there were just spirits everywhere floating in on the wind, and uh, there were the spirits of the dead. 
uh, our ancestors, and they were the nature spirits, and they were elemental spirits, and some of them were tutelary spirits, you know, spirits of the home. So um, these spirits reside in air or uh, the elemental realm of air, the energetic magical realm of air, and um, that's where we go when we have astral projections into that realm uh, with our energetic energetic body so um basically this book uh it gives a long history of uh how um you know all of this was perceived by people including the animism mentality because air is related to the mind as well and so um you know it brings us all the way through into the current age where there's now uh, we live in the age of information and communication like instantaneously we can communicate with people from around the world, but it's also, there's, um, you know, the problem with uh, the gases, the greenhouse gases and um, climate change and whatnot because of all those uh, uh, carbonate um, molecules in the atmosphere. So, you know, there's, we live in such an air time right now, and it, it's more important than ever to realize the power that we have, because air is also connected with laws and justice and uh, talking to uh, legislators. And um, it's just, you know, we go into all kinds of things. There's also like magic and spells and the correspondences and the plants and the, um, you know, the deities. So it was a really fascinating uh, write-up, and um, I learned so much about everything. It was a hugely intensive project. I think it took, although it's like only 60,000 words, like, um, you know, about half of Intuitive Witchcraft, I think it took me longer to write it. (laughs) So um, that gives you an idea of the scholarship and uh, the intensity involved in it just to to make it a a really good well-researched book well when i heard you were writing it you know i thought oh this is like some little kind of throwaway llewellyn book like here's a book of air magic spells kind of thing but it seems much much more thorough than i would have anticipated were you surprised during the writing process of how thorough it was i know from our private conversations, that birthing this book was not necessarily easy. Well, okay, so when I was writing Intuitive Witchcraft, it was kind of like a cosmic download, you know, listening to the winds. Um, this book, there was very little of that. There was, uh, it was very much a research project. So um, I had to kind of, you know, at first I was, I was listening to the wrong music. <laughs> I was listening to this like cosmic spacey music and I was like oh I need to be serious and I couldn't be serious with this cosmic spacey music and so um I had to put on uh my uh, baroque music that I listened to when I wrote papers in grad school and and once I did that everything started clicking into place because because it really is an intelligent book I mean there's a lot of magic in there it's very inspirational but it's the amount of information in there is just packed so densely you know I had so many citations we cut down on them but there's still a lot (laughs) yeah I mean you're talking to somebody who loves citations I know yeah well it's my greatest fear to like say something and not cite it correctly or 
cite the wrong thing or not have the right meaning. You know, like this goes back to my grad school fears, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I really wanted to do an accurate portrayal of all of the, the sources and information. So how do you feel about writing for Llewellyn? Do you like it for the most part? Is it what you expected? Yeah, I so far, so good. I mean, I'm still early days with the publication process, but, um, you know, I have a voice that is uh, more broadly heard than any other time I published. And uh, granted, it's different styles of books, and I didn't have a, a blog that was as well read. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's working out really great. You know, I've always loved Llewellyn so much. I used to get their catalogs, and, um, and I would, <laughs> um, you know, read every little line of print that they had in their catalogs. So, no, um, the fact that I get the public. Right. <laughs> it's it's magical. It's a magical experience to publish uh, with them. It was my dream, so I'm very happy with that. Well, I think for those of us who are Generation X, I mean, that is really what we grew up on. I mean, all of our books had uh-huh. moons or onks on them. I mean, there really wasn't much else. So maybe if you had a copy of The Spiral Dance, that was about the only other pretty much commonplace book that wasn't published through Llewellyn or Samuel Weiser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I've worked in a lot of bookstores, too. So, yeah. I I recognize all those books, you know. But you know, was a, what's interesting is I didn't I didn't read all all of those books back then. I I read some of them, but not I didn't read any of the Wicca books. Uh, I have to say, but um, <clears throat> uh, you know, yeah. Anyway, you know, no intuitive witchcraft has like a pretty thorough further reading list at the end of every chapter that's there. Uh, so you I mean, you, you're you pretty well read. I mean, there are at least two dozen books amongst all of those. You know, that's a, that's a lot to read. And I wanted to have more on there, too, but they said three only. So I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I Is there said, any? Like eight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there any one particular book that was in, like most influential to you when you were a a much younger person? God, we're so old, you know. We're like yeah. not even really that old, yeah. but you know. So, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and and this is where I come back to. This isn't a Llewellyn book, um, but it's Women Who Run with the Wolves, um, and I think this could be extrapolated to anyone who runs with the wolves, and I think there should be a reissue. <laughs> with that, um, but um, Women Around the World by Calista Piccola Estes uh, was so amazing, and there go- there's a lot of psychology in there, a lot of sociology, some anthropology, a little bit of paganism, a little bit of witchcraft, but um, it's mostly layered beneath uh, cultural practices and um, deep wisdom, ancestral wisdom. Um, but that book, I uh, I underlined it and I highlighted it and I wrote in the margins, and I would reread it and different other parts would jump out at me. So I have to say that book um, changed my life probably more than any other book. 
I mean, no, that was a huge book. No, that was a huge book in the 90s. That was the kind of thing that everybody had. And also, by the end of the 90s, it was one of those books that was available in hardcover at Barnes & Noble, like, for $10 or something. I mean, it was, like, one of their bargain books. And so everybody I knew had that book. That's not to diminish that book. It's just to talk about how available and accessible it was to a lot of people. Yeah, I knew a lot of people who read that and were influenced by it. Maybe yeah, not as much as, about as you. It, yeah. it, it ties in uh, modern psychology uh, and spirituality and like ancient stories together. And um, there's this depth about it that's so um, beautiful. But then she also encourages uh, being wild. I include a quote of hers in my book about how um, she's just this person with the, her instincts intact and her intuition with her all the time. And, and she talked about, like, how she could, you know, try to go to church. She could try to wear a dress and a hat, but then, like, her tail would come up from behind her dress and her uh, long uh, ears that were, like, you know, supposed to be for hearing in the woods would, like, make her hat fly off. <laughs> It's a beautiful quote, beautiful sentiment. I, I just love her stories so much. So we're about out of time, but I know that you have an event coming up, a virtual book launch. Can you tell us about that? I do. Well, okay, so here we are in the pandemic era. I had um, a book launch planned for my favorite brewery where I spin fire. And um, everything happens, you know, around March 17th or so, and my book launch was supposed to be for April 8th, so it got canceled, needless to say. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I've just been waiting for things to open up, and, you know, I I just kind of felt like I I will have a virtual event where I will answer questions and hang out and talk with people and just be available and just, you know, put myself out there. So yeah, that is happening on um, uh, my Facebook page, uh, Estrella Taylor, uh, author, Starlight Witch, uh, which is a, actually the blog name that you came up with, Jason, for me. Did I really? Did I really? Uh, it is beautiful, yeah. Yeah, how much whiskey did I have you, that day? You, know? you did ask me about it. But um, I think starlight is a beautiful sentiment because it's always with us. Well, you kind of twinkle, you know, in your way. <laughs> in the best way possible. Well, thank you. You know, you know, you know, I adore you. You're like one of my favorite people in the entire world. Well, and, you know, I, I feel lucky to have you as a friend, too, because I've um, you know, it's been a hard couple of years. I've experienced a lot of loss, and you've been a very good friend throughout all of this time and stuff. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. So when is the virtual book launch? Um, it is uh, this coming Sunday on uh, May 24th, and it is at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And oh, if you want to ask any What's that? It's so early, early? on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it is. But, you know, it's going to be one of those things that's going to, like, hang around and you can watch it later. That's that's the beauty of those things. Yeah. You know, and it's a watch. Australia was like, is your show on Zoom? And I'm like, no, I'm way too kind of old-fashioned and a technological Luddite to do such a thing. Also, you know, can I wear hair and pants if the show is broadcast with video? And I'm not sure that I can because I probably would never be caught in public with these things on. You know, but it's the quarantine. I, I've given up. I don't care. <laughs> so, you know, I look like well, I'm constantly I in my hair and pants. Yeah. yeah. The word hair and pants is kind of weird, but the word hair maybe is just kind of weird. But I know what pants you speak of, and I own several pairs myself. And I love them because they are what's comfortable. Definitely. And it's going to be 90 here in a couple of days. So I'm going to have to like not wear hair and pants during that period, which will make Ari happy and me sad, which is really probably for the best. You could wear, you could cut them into shorts (laughs) because I think that would be brilliant. Why not? Oh my God. I'm going to tell her that. And she's never going to speak to you ever again. I know. Sorry, Ari. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Why aren't harem shorts a thing, right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, you know, their goal. So before we end tonight's show, if people want to know more about you, want a signed copy of your book, like I did, where do they go? How do they get in touch with you, et cetera, et cetera. It's promote yourself time. Okay, well, I have a website. It's astrayataylor.com, and um, I have a little shop in there. It has a lot of different links. Um, We actually have a box for the book. You get a signed copy of the book as well as my favorite essential oil blend that my friend made and um, a piece of sodalite and some other uh, intuition-boosting items, candle uh, and some stickers, um, uh, or uh, it has a link to my Etsy account where you can get a signed copy that's personalized with your name on it. And, um, you know, uh, my website just has all the other stuff too. It has links to the blog, um, links to everything else. It's, it's a good, good place to go. Sounds pretty easy. I thank you so much for being my second guest on the relaunched podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you. I think next time we're going to have to get sillier because um, this this isn't silly enough. I, I kind of marketed us as being the silliest people at Patheos Pagan. <laughs> I don't know wow. if we came through with that. I don't but, know. Uh, sorry. If I had known that, I probably would have tried to be sillier. Maybe I would have tried to start drinking at four. I don't know, but I would have played along, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I think we're still silly. If it didn't come across, we'll just have to do it again. Uh, you know, because yeah. Air Magic will be coming out eventually, too, I think in uh, 2021, maybe springtime. Um, but, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Good thing. So, well, thank you for having me on. Hey, I love having you on. And again in the fall, I'll probably have you on again. You know, I'd have to do research to have new guests on. I just, like, want to take 20 and just repeat them every every few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. 
that could be fun. I get to ask you about Lana Del Rey and your weird taste in music. So, I mean, that's for now. Oh, my God. I love Lana. She is everything. Good person. I know that. Uh, And she's a witch. Yes, it does. It does seem as if she leans our way. So tonight my guest was Astraea Taylor. She's the author of Intuitive Witchcraft, How to Use Intuition to Elevate Your Craft, which just came out about a month ago. It is a really terrific book. Like, my name is on the back of it. It says it's a terrific book full of heart, practical advice, and some of the best witchcraft to make the printed page in years. And all of that shit is true because I would never lie on the back of a book, and I'm really serious about that. Straight is a fabulous writer, a wonderful person. Again, thank you for being on the show, uh, one of my favorite people. Next week, I will be also joined by another one of my fam- favorite people, that is Phoenix LeFay. Phoenix is the author of What is Remembered Lives, which came out in October, and then also Walking in Beauty Using the Magic of the Pentacle to Bring Harmony to Your Life, which has been pushed back to August because of the coronavirus. Both terrific books, and we'll be talking to her for another good hour. She'll probably be sipping wine. I will be sipping whiskey because this is Witches Whiskey and Wit. I'm Jason. Again, thanks to Estrella. And we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.